going on down there. Not that a sweaty podcast is necessarily a bad thing. Good to know that glistening men are talking about Transformers in a legendary milestone podcast, which is episode 600 of WTF and TFW, which no longer converts to any kind of calendar year, but that's fine. In fact, that's one less piece of stress. Aaron, welcome to your to episode 600 of WTF and TFW. Thanks. You almost said my 600th episode, which, uh, between all of our supplementary things, is probably past that. Yeah, I was about, like, like, I don't want to do that math, but actually, <laughs> and we pull in the, uh, here, here, the... here, let's, let's go real quick. 180, uh, no, sorry, 811 releases? Mm-hmm. 821 releases. Love, you've done at least 500, I would just guess. I'd, at least. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do the math. Someone out there who wants to do it, in fact, please don't, because you're going to go back and listen to old ones. But uh, ain't, ain't nobody want to do that. It always amazes me when somebody's like, yeah, I went back to start listening to, like, episode 50, and I just want to say, why? I had garbage opinions back then, too. Not about Transformers, yeah, so, much back as, like, then. so much as, like, the world in general. I was a, an ignorant, uneducated early 20-something, well, mid-20-something, when we started doing this thing. Oh, I want to punch that version. TJ, would you, you, would you be down to just go back in time to 2008? Just like, just, just one slap to the jaw of 2008 me. We're, we're recording this in 2021. There are so many things I would love to go back to 2008 and do. Oh, man. Uh, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of things like, hey, why don't you just buy that Lego set and sit on it for, uh, for, uh, 13 years. If we've uh, got the option to go back and, and do something like that, it's just go buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's no, not so much buy a bunch of Bitcoin. It's also buy a whole bunch of whatever the hardware is that Bitcoin is like deforesting, uh, yeah. from the entire, um, no, no, if you're, get, if you're getting the chance to go back in time, you take back the current hardware that mines the Bitcoin, and then you plug it in, and then <laughs> oh, you have all no. the Bitcoin. <laughs> but then nobody can, nobody knows what the heck oh, a Bitcoin is because nobody else got it, and you just played yourself. Don't spoil do, the do, plot of Transformers Bumblebee Two. All right. Don't 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 Biff Tan in this. Don't. I swung it back around. Biff Tannen's also on topic. For episode 600, what I would like to do uh, is very simply talk about Transformers Bumblebee, a feature film that's uh, soon to be, well, it's just over two years old, right? It was like Christmas time mm-hmm. 2018 when that came out. Um, we uh, we never ended up doing a podcast about it for various reasons. It was a lot of timing. It was a lot of busyness. And then suddenly it's the year 2021. This is a spoiler podcast for a Transformers live-action feature film titled Bumblebee. I know what you are thinking. Who does not know spoilers already for a two-plus-year-old movie? Well, the mathematics hold true. There is a 10% chance a 
any given listener has not seen the movie, and there is a 5% chance that one of those 10% do not want to know spoilers for the movie, which means there is now a 510% chance that a spoiler section warning is still mandated and necessary in this, the year of 2021. This is actually not by design, but we are just like now getting all this like initial news bits about like uh, you know E One Entertainment has now been uh, swallowed by Hasbro uh, to be their new entertainment branch. They're trying again. Um, they're they're doing films again. They got some more cartoons underway. The films again though. Uh, another name showed up being attached to whatever the next film they're working on is, which is Lorenzo de Bonaventura, everyone's favorite, um, absolutely a human being. Um, I'm looking forward to the press junkets where he just says things uh, that the news sites um, turn into meaningless discussion that because it doesn't anything he says is meaningless. But uh, nonetheless, Transformers Bumblebee is uh, is the best live action Transformers film that we ever got. Uh, it's almost it's almost ridiculous how uh, how nice an experience it is, and it's also immensely frustrating how under the radar it ended up being for a lot of Joe Public, because for a lot of Joe Public it was it was too late, and it was the time of year when a lot of people weren't even looking, um, and it's 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 aged really well. I can say that because I watched it today. Uh, I've watched it several times, but I watched it just today, and uh, in preparation for this podcast, and. It's uh, it still has merch coming out. They just announced the next MPM masterpiece movie toy is the Optimus Prime from this movie, which is not the decision I would have made, but it still says Bumblebee movie on it, and it's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, suffice to say, it's been two years. Uh, all due respect to our hardworking spoiler man, I don't think that a spoiler warning is necessary anymore. Because uh, if, if you ask me, right, the vertical slice of the fan who's listening to specifically this podcast episode by now they probably have seen it it's it's got a it's impossible I, if you, if you i'd hope seen so it. uh if you're a transformers fan you still haven't seen it also like what are you doing to yourself like it, it's well worth it why not watch a nice thing <laughs> uh but yeah i, I just want to have a little a little chat nice laid back episode 600 let's talk about the best live action transformers film um that uh, that we've got possibly that we'll ever get no no offense to everyone working on the upcoming ones but this one uh kind of flew under the i feel like it flew under the producer radar to a degree as well because uh, you know we're, we're probably never going to know but this this was going to be a prequel to the Michael Bay uh quintology and it very obviously was filmed and designed to be that way until a certain point when it got to not have to be that way, but also when it was consigned to what is often referred to as a death release slot. And it seems like oversight on the film kind of just stepped back and was like, you know what, just do whatever you want. Sure. Um, I don't necessarily think we're going to get that situation again anytime soon as far as oversight stepping back. And I think it was for the better, but um, that's my preamble. Uh, TJ, uh, did you like this movie's now two years old. Um, how do you think mm-hmm. it's aged? I mean, I think it's still aged pretty well. I mean, it 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 doesn't tell the most complex of stories, so that does help it. But mm. it's still it's still fun to watch. The visuals are really good. Um, the characters yeah. are still really. This characters are still like my favorites out of the live action series, and it doesn't have like it doesn't have a lot of the pitfalls that the other movies do. 
where it's just I'm not exhausted watching it because so much is going on and the visuals are just keep getting thrown at me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's nice it's a nice like casual transformer experience if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's actually honestly coming off of the Netflix stuff right now too. It's like uh, there's a lot in common, but this does it more more I don't know how else to put this like more wholeheartedly, like more genuinely and more more enjoyably. I think. Yeah. It's like, do you remember? Then have a good time. You know, less so. Do you remember? So do you remember this too? What about this? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, how, how do you feel this movie's age now? You know, we're about two years out from it. Uh, yeah. So I also kind of did a rewatch today. Um, and uh, had actually told a couple of people that I work with that I was doing it, and one of them was like, uh, another one of those? It's like, no, actually it was, you know, kind of go through a bit of the preamble that we had. I said, give it a watch. And about uh, two and a half hours later, he's like, holy crap, why didn't I catch this two years ago? I've heard this um, so many times. It's, the, mm-hmm. I, it's not the movie's fault. It's so frustrating, though. Yeah. It's, I mean, kind of the previous five had put everybody in a mindset of this is what a Transformers movie is. And when it wasn't like, you know, you don't most not fan people, you know, (laughs) hit me once. Okay. Hit me twice. uh, All right. Hit me five times. Look, I'm just not coming back. Also, the Um, fifth one was for the most part, like the most uh, inexcusably worst of the five as far as being a calamitous disaster of a production it's not as if it had a a you know a gradual increase in quality too you know if oh each one of them gets better then yeah somebody's going to show up um Mm. but no i i mean i rewatched it today and the the biggest thing that i sat there and kept thinking about is this could have been just like even without the Transformers part of it, like, you know, person and, you know, whatever alien, you know, the outside force, misconstrued, confused, whatever, come together, it's a good film. And the Transformers stuff is in there is good, and it's a part of it for sure, but it's a thing that, like, if you pare the story down, it's a good story. It's not relying on a whole bunch of you know, explosions or hey, do you remembers or weird plotty twisty things. Oh, it turns out it was the Transformers all along yet again. Stuff that the previous movies had done. This one, to me, what makes it so good is it's a good story. The the beats flow well and it makes sense. And there's maybe little bits of foreshadowing that actually come up later and mean something. Yeah, and what's funny is the movie even does the whole it was the Transformers all along thing with the internet, but like in in a way that is in service of the plot and that also is very again it's like it's chill. It's not going yeah. like we the internet was fashioned by the trans. It's just like no, look, they're putting it together. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh anyway, yeah. It's re- the internet was figured out by or was you know developed by Transformers. Even if like if you're not paying attention to it. You could gloss past the fact that, oh, they're yeah. networking all the computers together. You know, it's like they said it, and you can pick it up from there. It's not, you know, oh, 
the dinosaurs were robots too. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no bullet sweaty man glaring at someone else yeah. going like it's, it all came from Project Iceman. It, which is by the way, fine bullet point, but in delivery, yeah. Uh and that actually mm-hmm. kind of bouncing off all of that. The first the first thing that I always want to tackle about this movie is uh you know, not just that opening scene. There's one other one in the middle, but the Cybertron scenes, clearly the last thing produced for this film. Um is is all of the you know for everything we just said the absolute nostalgia uh wank uh slap noise of just one gigantic uh reference bomb slapping into your face uh second one and again coming off of stuff like the Netflix series going on right now the thing about those scenes i always say they are the least important parts of the film to the film itself however unlike a lot of really cynical nostalgia trash like, those scenes are lovingly made still. There's a lot of mm-hmm. genuine, heartfelt enthusiasm in their delivery, which is why I like them. And it's why I will always stick up for them to a point. And I'll always pull it back down when I, cause you'll, you'll encounter lots of folks who are like, oh, they should have made the whole movie like that. And it's like, no, they shouldn't. Uh, those, yeah. those scenes, like, if you look at them too long, they are a very nice video game cutscene, an extremely nice one, but they, they are very much like the last thing that was added to the film. And it's a, it's a beautiful cherry on top. It welcomes a ton of people in. Uh, but it's, it's kind of in disservice of the rest of the film to hold that stuff as like, this was the pinnacle of the movie. Cause it's like, that was like the first five minutes of the movie too, y'all. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that said, it's really cool. Uh, in my opinion, uh, DJ Aaron, like DJ, I'll ask you first. Like, how, how that that stuff now? Like, it's it's still pretty fun, right? Or did you get kind of sick of how much people were jumping on it, or what? Um, no, because I was kind of in that same boat. Like, yes, there's the whole movie is leagues better than the other live action movies, but that scene is just like so good. Like that. It's the scene that makes me wish that, like, that was, like, how everyone looked, and, like, that was the aesthetic that we had gotten. And it is a lot of nostalgia, because you, you watch that scene through, and, like, oh, well, there's Shockwave and Soundwave, oh, that's Ravage, and RC, and Brawn are there, and, like, it's a lot, it's a lot of recognizable characters, but there are those little touches that just make you know just kind of make you realize how much attention there is in those scenes you know prime does like the 86 movie leap uh you can see uh he has a mouth plate instead of just like an open mouth mm-hmm. so they're actually mm-hmm. pain- which is the first time most cartoons don't even do that anymore you know that's mm-hmm. just not a de- it's not a detail anyone really remembers uh God, there's another one that i really like too if i can as i'm scrolling through the movie to actually like the, the, keep everything the, in mind the very like, construction oh. of that of that action sequence is also again like 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 a lot of things we say you strip out the transformers part of it it's also just a really nicely made sequence that was clearly plotted out planned storyboarded uh yeah. which, which is how i would refer to a lot of the cg in this film is that a lot of it feels planned out as opposed to the the borderline fact that a lot of the michael bay sequences tended to be shot in live action and then the robots were applied afterwards to suit however the live action stunt work was shot. Uh, yeah. And that, and that Cybertron scene is like, like, I would like a whole movie like that. I just don't want this movie to be entirely that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I think, it, I think, it, the other? oh, good. Yeah. Well, no, the other one I was thinking of was Wheeljack's ears actually lighting up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just like, it's such nostalgia fuel, but the fact that those little touches are in is the part that I really do like. 
And I'm kind of in the same mindset. I would love a movie that just looked like the Cybertron scene, but mm. like it wouldn't have been right for this one. This is a good framing device just to give you an idea of how things are as the backstory. You know, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's fine. Now, Aaron, how about you? How how are you? How did that scene look to you two years later? Uh, two years later, and you know, same right now, watching it again, I think it looks really good. Um, it's a thing that, uh, like, I I feel like there could be another layer on top of it from where it was, but there's still a lot of like depth to it. I guess I'm sitting here looking at. So there's a, a corridor crew on youtube if you watch them where it's uh vfx artists and there are a few things that after having watched a bunch of those that then i kind of see in here things that are just maybe like a touch off of it's amazingly bright for no real light sources and a few other things like that that now because i've watched some of those other things i sit there and see like "Mm, come on guys yeah Uh, a little bit yeah well it it does the the what i call and I, I, this isn't fully accurate, but I, I tend to just think of it as a video game cutscene thing where the more yeah. shadow you have, the more you can hide. And yeah. a lot of that light causes a lot of heavy shadow, which – and it, it, the thing is, it's so well put together. It still looks good. It's just like – Yeah, it still, it still looks good. There's still a lot of – I mean, there's a lot of you know depth and detail to it. And you know, like TJ was saying, a bunch of the little nods that wouldn't necessarily need to be done – um, you know, wheeljacks here and like that, uh, that make it feel more like they know the source material and, and have a better feel and respect for it. Um, but again, it's all things that's, you know, that whole bit is just in service of kind of explaining to us the war. And, you know, it's three minutes and 30 seconds when you get to Earth, and they've already done a very good job of explaining the war kind of showing you who the good guys and bad guys are and getting Bumblebee to where he is mm-hmm. to to Earth. And that's a thing that that again part of of I think why Bumblebee is so much of a better take than the Michael Bay movies are is because that's clear, it's concise and it just moves the plot along. You know, kind of to your point of, you know, Michael Bay will kind of probably have like, you know, 10 frame storyboards of like we're coming down this road and then it just Decepticon transforms and knocks his tanker truck over. Then there's a big explosion and then it jumps through the explosion and then transforms again and drives some more. And okay, that's not bad. But then it's also a matter of like, you got to figure out then the like steps in between and how that works versus, you know, a pretty good, you know, fight scene, a little bit of hand to hand, then Bumblebee coming up and shooting the two seekers and doing like a Black Widow judo move around another one and popping his head off and kicking the head over. Like that stuff that you know was, you know, step by step by step by step framed. And it really shows that difference. Yeah. It's. Uh- well, yeah. I was going to say, like, going through the whole, like, going just to the, the whole way that the film's action sequences are done, like, that that opening does uh, speak to a lot of what will come, which is mm-hmm. action sequences that feel like they are driven by a storytelling sense. It's it's what I also held up, like, Pacific Rim as being so good at when it came out, as opposed to the, the Transformers films, where the action feels like it is storytelling, as opposed to the action feeling like a lot of yeah. CG artists are stringing set piece footage together as best mm-hmm. they can, you know? Uh 
And uh, yeah, it, it's a good sequence. Also, obviously, shouts out uh, to uh, to John Bailey, who did a kick-ass job filling in for Shockwave and Soundwave. Uh, for Soundwave, equally as much shouts out to the v- or the, the um, SFX, the audio editor folks, who, who really nailed the Soundwave effect, which is an effect that... You know, demonstrably, let's look at Netflix, for instance. Some Sometimes folks just don't seem to really get what the heart of it is uh, outside of, like, someone doing an impersonation of it in an elevator. And mm-hmm. uh, it, and that's never really on the actor. It, it is always the post-production on a sound wave that's trying to be that sound wave. And this one, they mm-hmm. just nailed it. They got it. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it was really cool. Uh, also... One last thing, like, I, I like how one of the noted changes that you could tell from watching trailers is how one of the background seekers got given blue gloves to really obviously clearly be Starscream, uh, because mm-hmm. that had been a whole thing for a few months where they were like, is Starscream the, the one on Earth, or is he one of the background ones? They're like, all right, blue gloves, look, that's him. He's there. We're all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh He's he's getting the Studio Series toy now. Um, yeah, that, that, that whole thing... Um, there's a whole lot about this movie that I wish we could know someday. I really, really hope we can someday find out more transparently what the dichotomy was between what we watched and what it was going to be uh, originally. Because um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, the Earth scene afterwards. John Cena, uh, his performance very much looks like there is a chunk of it just missing because it was originally for another script where... There are times where he's to the like to the point. John Cena did a good job in this, and I like that John Cena uh, got himself cast in a role where he was not playing an all-American superhero because that seems like the kind of thing he would be set to do. But mm-hmm. there's a lot about his performance, which was clearly for a much darker character, and bits of it still come through, uh, possibly because some of those scenes were shot under that original impetus, and it also very clearly was dialed back to a point, but. It turns into one of my little criticisms about the movie now that I've watched it like 12 times or whatever, which is there are a lot of characters where I'm like, for a movie that's two hours, I'm like, I wish this one was two and a half hours long, like all those Michael Bay ones started to become, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of characters who are not Charlie or Bumblebee, where I feel like I'm seeing the start of their story and the resolution of their story, but the middle part kind of gets left out. Uh, It makes for good pacing, but like... Uh, I can't, I can't not pull that out as a little criticism here. And you guys were saying like, it's a very good movie and I do agree, but I I always tend to say it's a very good kids movie specifically. Uh, and in, in saying that I'm like, there's a lot you can poke holes in, in this, but I feel like nothing about the film invites that. Like, it's like if you went to watch a kid's film and poked holes in it, like that can be fun, but don't start laying that out as the intent of the film. I just don't feel like that was what this movie was going for. It's, it's such a good kids movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll poke some holes as we go, because I got some fun ones. But um, John, I guess my point is, yo, John Cena doing a lot of good work. <laughs> and this movie is, is sort of split in half. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Do you guys have any any, any thoughts on John Cena? I, I keep forgetting. His name is Jack, I think. It's not Jack Bauer. Uh, Jack Burns. It's like, Jack Byrne, what a John yeah. Cena ass name. That's, that's a good yeah, one. I mean, I mean, I had to look it up too because it's just John Cena in my head. Yeah. yeah, like, and it's not. Maybe it's a little bit his fault, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also maybe not entirely his fault. Uh, I, we never got a toy of him. What a shame. Just thinking about that. Uh, I don't know, TJ. Any what? Are, any other thoughts on John Cena? Let's just call him John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, like, I, I like John Cena's character in the movie. Like, I, I mean, it's set up to where, like, okay, he, he's tough, but he's still a good guy. You know, we, we got more, like, the more jovial John Cena, I would expect. Um, and there's some, there is some weirdness. Like, I, I feel like there's some back and forth about the, about the character, where he's very sinister when it comes to Bumblebee. But also, like, he's, he's the one that catches on to Shatter and Dropkick. Like, he, he's the one who points out the obvious. They call themselves Decepticons. Yeah. And very good line. Like, Some, someone would be mad if we don't mention that it's a very good line. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, it is. And it's a, li- it's a line you should, you know, you should have pulled up so many times, though, because, yeah, yeah, isn't that obvious? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, I, feel, I feel like there is something missing there in just... He he's a little bit he's a little bit too harsh in some scenes, and then like he's but he's also like trying try, trying to like be the one the the voice of reason when it comes to dealing with the actual Decepticons. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think at least in the beginning, I mean, it's just totally you know it's very um you know focused military mindset of like okay this thing is a problem, I need to take care of the problem. And that's like the very direct head-on attitude with it. And I think it is later when he's like, oh, here are other examples of them. Maybe that first one wasn't quite it, but it's still my mission to stop this thing. That, you know, in the end at least, gets the 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 change of, of heart that yeah. really matters. Yeah. So it's more I, a matter of, like, that's the character of, like, hey, what's the mission? Okay, this is the mission. I'm going to do everything I can in support of that to get it taken care of. Yeah, while having weird-ass harpoons on their Humvees. Sorry. I mean, th- part, I mean there's also... Part of the there's film also, coming up. Yeah, I mean, there's also a scene where he's taking way too much pleasure in tasing Bumblebee. Yeah, it, stuff yeah. like that, or him and the general, where they're literally, like, like, like villain chuckling with each other about like yeah we'll let them do their thing then we're gonna dismember them for parts <laughs> and it's like all right yeah that's fine and he had, and there is a character progression that is present but i feel like there are like at least two key moments that kind of get glossed over or we never really see uh and i think i think the patch i would apply if that made any sense in films would be like mm-hmm. I, I wish his character turn happened uh at the like on screen at the end of the scene with Bumblebee and the red eyes, as opposed to like that scene happens, then off screen he comes to his senses and sets out in a helicopter to go take on Shatter. And I, I just wish we had a moment, more of a moment between the two of them. Uh, yeah. And I, I genuinely, though, like opposed to a lot of other films, I really feel like in this one, these missing moments are because this film's production was so weird. It, yeah. it just feels mm-hmm. like it from top to bottom. Uh, it's part yeah. of why I like it. And, and that's a, a thing that I think for his his turn moment with the the red eyes moment could have been something, you know, even if it was another one of his Sector 7 guys, like, hey, every other encounter we had with him, he was playing light. You know, in the beginning when he said he didn't want to hurt us, that wasn't posing. You know, he he got angry and he screwed us all up without trying yeah. That, you know, that's definitely the a a turn point that could have happened that could have even been a, a show not tell type of thing, but it very easily could have been one of those things that in the fourth round of editing this movie to whatever version it ended up being, they just couldn't go back necessarily and get like, oh, like it'd be great to have another day of reshoots on a green screen even. 
at yeah. some point you have to go with what <laughs> film you have. Well, also, I, I suspect this film, like, while they got to do some new stuff, I think there was a very low ceiling on how much stuff they were allowed to do to, to rework what the film was. Yeah, I'm um, trying to remember. They only had, like, six days of reshoots or something incredibly small. Yeah, and, and, a lot of stuff, and, and a lot of stuff that, you know, didn't need days with humans like the the seed you know the cybertron scenes are fully mm-hmm. animated or uh bumblebee's voice dylan o'brien did a great job on a voice that also y- if you watch it enough times you realize no one ever interacts with him as though he's talking uh it's in fact a little it's a little much in the opening sequence when he's with the humans and he's speaking to them and none of them seem to respond to the <laughs> fact that he's speaking and it's it's because we you know as super fans we know that that was added in very late uh but it's another one of those weird like seams like very very well stitched but incredibly visible seams between mm-hmm. old bumblebee and new bumblebee uh also with John the last thing about John Cena's character I, very much he comes off like someone died in the opening that he was close with uh and i kind of like that no one died in that opening but it also makes his attitude towards bumblebee uh, like f- a little like five times extra where it, like it, it comes off between the scar and the way he's acting it's like oh someone died in that attack and, and he thinks bumblebee did it when it was blitzwing but it's like no it's like no one died i don't think <laughs> <laughs> At least not that we're aware of. So he's he's just very he's very intense. Uh, and actually, uh, Blitzwing, I would like to also talk about. Uh, Blitzwing is, an, is he had lines in the trailer that he never had in the movie uh, that were as good, but like equally as good as the ones he had in the movie. Another character where I'm, and I I would love to know what he was originally because uh, you know he's never named as Blitzwing. His design. Absolutely, he's not really a Blitzwing. Uh, he's very Starscreamy in colors, although the joke, I feel, kind of got old before the movie came out. Uh, but, but again, very odd uh, scene, because Optimus Prime is like, I found a safe place no one knows about called Earth. Bumblebee's on Earth for less than 10 minutes, and a Decepticon showed up as an Earth vehicle shooting at him. Uh, and it, the rest of the film, it very much seems like no Decepticons seemed to be aware Blitzing was there. So it, I, I want to know what was there originally and what was added in after the film got its new identity. But also, it is one of those kind of fun holes you can poke of, like, Optimus Prime, superhero leader, the mind of the Resistance, sent... There was literally a Decepticon already there. when He's <laughs> like, I put in all this work. I found a safe haven. Uh, mm-hmm. That aside, though, the, the Blitzwing sequence, what a friggin'... So much about that sequence I like. Um... Aaron, let's talk about Blitzwing a little bit. Uh, he's an airplane. You know airplanes. Mm-hmm. That's a weird segue, but nonetheless. F4 Phantom. Yeah. Two. None of the toys uh, reflect it, as far as I know. Yeah, none of them, <laughs> none of them have, like, because, um, I mean, again, that's a licensed product, ultimately. Mm-hmm. All, of the, all of the toys have been Phantom-ish jets, that whole, you know... 15% different so that they can't get uh, litigated against. Yep. Um, schmucks like me who don't know planes are just like, it blitzwing! Because a robot! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, the whole the whole fight scene there, again, I'll just put this for all the fight scenes, you know, it very clearly was uh, 
you know, set up well, framed well, storyboarded well, and then all the CG put together for it. Um, you know, thankfully it's a, that for the most part, there's not any like human interaction. So all of this could have been done on a computer, um, Mm -hmm. with just like background plates or whatever for the, the high desert scene, uh, in the back of it. But it's, it's a thing that I think even the previous movies never got quite right because they always felt like there had to be the human part in there. Yeah. I want to say that. This movie does that near the end in a really good way. Yeah. Uh, but but, but the, at least the ones at the end, they're framed so that you see the robots the whole time. Yes. Like, it, it's, it's framed as, well. as, as there are, like, there's this robot fight going on, and there's humans around it, not, like, there are these gigantic titan forces of nature that are clashing against each other, and humans are trying not to die inside of it. Yeah, and this one even it, like I think a lot when I was watching this scene again, it always makes me think about the blackout scene, it's like one of the best scenes of the Michael Bay movies. Absolutely, uh, mm-hmm. stands out stands out as a short film by itself. I've always felt, uh, but this felt like this felt like the more fun version of that scene, where it's like this this one fighter jet Decepticon shows up and just nukes uh, all the humans out of the way to have a fight with a Jeep Autobot. Uh, and there's something very specifically purely Transformers about that that notion mm-hmm. to me. Um, and of course, you know, uh, David Sobolov just k- kicking butt, doing a good David Sobolov gravel voice for that guy. Uh, I always felt like he hit some really good, like, 80s G1 Seeker goon tones uh, with that voice, like very Thundercracker, uh, just kind of guttural, uh, sounds like he's going to throw you down a staircase kind of thing. The thing, the thing I'm always wondering also about Blitzwing, as much as I hate the joke, is like, was he gonna, was he gonna just be a nameless but looks a lot like Starscream that was kind of stuck in? Um, I mean, did, I could see his design just being a Seeker evolution. Yeah, like he's between got, the Seekers that were on Cybertron, he has the same like general layout, and like with Dropkick and Shatter later, like we see Dropkick and Shatter on. Europa or whatever it is out in the solar system and mm-hmm. they have like a lot of their look but none of the vehicle stuff and it's something that I actually took the moment to pay attention a lot more attention to after they get their car scans it's that same like silhouette but with car parts on them and then after they have the their interaction with sector 7 and then they have their harrier and helicopter and then they scan those when they transform then they have harrier and helicopter parts on them too i love that so, part yeah so i i can very much see this being that blitzwing was just a seeker and then he scanned an f4 and so then his like robot mode changed in order to have the phantom parts hanging off of it too Oh yeah, I, I I guess I meant like on a like on the meta level, like like did the seeker design come first or did Blitzwing come first? And like which oh. one which which one existed first? Uh which would then say like, you know, did, was Blitzwing always in this or was was he, you know, just a generic robot? Um it's it's you know, it's going to come up a lot, but like I, there's so much about this film's production that like we're we're not going to know for a long time uh because it doesn't reflect positively on the brand. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I really would like to know more, because <laughs> uh, also like like just bouncing off that quickly, like B, uh, 
I, I kind of forgot about it till I was watching the movie again today. But like, yeah, he has he has three different robot modes: uh, Cybertronian, Jeep, and VW. And I forgot. Mm-hmm. I just forgot. I plain forgot like how different the Jeep robot was for a robot mode he barely has in the movie. Uh, yeah, which immediately makes me go like, I bet the Jeep B was always in this in its original form. Uh, because that's a that's a lot of um, production that is in shots with humans, so it has to look more photorealistic. Uh, right. This is this is my layman logic, at least. So that that probably existed when this this movie was getting the most attention um, on a on a producer side. Um, but yeah, like the that that whole opening, uh, I guess like fifteen minutes, it's just banging. It's a banger opening, and. Uh, this is one of those films that also has a really I think, good pace because like you get that banger opening, uh, you go into bead shutting down and then just this lovely, lovely little transition of the blinking out red dot of his vision into the blinking red dot on the alarm clock. Like it's just, uh, it's magnificent. Uh, as far as just putting some film together, uh, before I go on that tangent though, TJ, I wanted to ask you, um, just to, in general, like the, the, the blitzwing scene, blitzwing himself, uh, Two years later, I'm going to say it a lot, but it's mm-hmm. where we are. Uh, how does that stick out to you now? I mean, it's still a cool scene. Uh, I, I have to put aside the whole "that's not Blitzwing" part of my brain. Mm-hmm. So I, th- it, I, th- I think the other live action movies kind of numbed me to that. When Ratchet was green and Starscream was tan, I'm like, okay, that's just what they're going to do. <laughs> that's kind of why when that became the big hang up in the you know the fandom talk for several weeks, I was like. Look, I know this movie's not like literally the same, but also like it's in 2018. Are we going to actually have the like the live action Transformer doesn't look like the G1 one talk now? Because I mean, <laughs> I, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It's that. Yeah. This went a step further in that it looked like another character. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, yeah, if I it agree. wasn't yeah, if it wasn't for the gas mask part of the face, like he looked like Starscream. Yeah, and. and it, it was the same model as the Seekers on Cybertron for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, this, that's the why scene they gave Starscream the blue gloves. So we knew yeah. he didn't die. <laughs> the scene itself is cool. I, I, I like the actual fight scene. Uh, I mm. like giving a little bit of story to why Bumblebee doesn't have a, doesn't have a voice. Though I question mm. how logical that is when he's trying to get information out of Bumblebee. It's uh yeah it it's actually right up there with Optimus Prime I found a safe haven and the Blitzwing is right there but then Blitzwing's like I want information I'm gonna take your throat out oh wait <laughs> well mm. he's got a hard drive he can just plug in yeah 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 uh the the fun thing about Transformers is that all of these character quirks they fit into this this in- intellectual property there's there's comics that can be written to make entertaining stories about these kind of weirdnesses which uh. Hopefully someday. That's the other thing this movie missed out on was like, it got a tie-in comic that was really fun, but also had nothing to do with the movie we watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, I think, skipped that Bumblebee tie-in comic. It's a really fun comic. Absolutely doesn't make any sense to this movie or the Michael Bay movies. Makes zero sense. But it, it's just fun. Uh, it's it's a fun what if. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, bouncing, bouncing off of that, uh, that alarm clock. We talked about John Cena. I want to talk a little bit about Charlie, uh, our, our main human character. Probably the... I, I'm trying to think if maybe I'm overshadowing someone here. I think she is the best human contact character we've had in Transformers. Maybe period. 
No, maybe. Mm. If if not, at least standing alongside the best ones. Uh, I think the reason I say I say she might be on the top is because the story she's in was also crafted entirely around that relationship, which is an advantage that some other human characters just simply didn't have. Um, but she is excellent in this movie. She is, uh, how do you put this? Uh, she is like, she is everything that a human character in the previous Michael Bay films was not right down to her introduction. I don't think this was on purpose. It's just a funny coincidence, but it's like, after all these movies of like, all right, who's the female lead? Going to introduce her leaning over a car. She's, she's chilling out. She's chilling out on the edge of this, uh, looking over this motorbike, but bent over or, Underwear. Uh, yeah, we're introduced to Charlie looking like, tr- like just, you know, how, when you look real bad in the morning, and you don't care. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's our intro to this character is like, uh, and then like just brushing teeth, smell armpits, spit mouthwash, like, uh, 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 like just it's a good attitude. Like they, it's a, it's a caricature, but boy, they like nailed it. Just the like absolute teenager. Uh. I, I, I dig it. Um, and, 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 and yeah, there's, there's more about her that I can go on about, but, um, uh, TJ, uh, this is our human main character. Um, how, how did she do? Uh, I, I think you come close when you say like the best human contact character that we, that we've had, you know, it's, it's somewhere up there with sorry, which has a technicality attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um no, I I really I do, I do really like her. Um she feels more real. Like she's going for like a teenage caricature, but she feels a lot more real than, you know, uh you know, well like name a female in any of the other movies. Like, cuz yeah, like a lot of, in fact, not just as other movies, she doesn't come off like a 20 something playing a teenager, which I feel like is, is something that you know, in a good film, you kind of gloss over it, but you don't, you don't get that sense of like, this is someone who's kickstarting their career by featuring in this, this kid's movie. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's a genuineness to the performance that I think, you know, it, it, very much on the director too, bringing out a she, good performance. So, so one thing, she was 20 playing an 18 year old. Like she's she's point. not she's not <laughs> like a, a twenty five or thirty year old person. <laughs> like you're leaning into, she was just twenty years old at that point. Yeah, I forgot. Um, she was she was born in 1996. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, hey, she's pre two thousands. That means the uh, actually no, the two thousand kids are are now not kids anymore. Yeah, it's literally twenty twenty one. What's up? Uh... Yeah, I, I forgot. I forgot that part. I when I, cause I, I also didn't really keep up with what she did until you know she started showing up in production photos for one of the Marvel shows, um, and in being in a Marvel show, I kind of just assumed like, oh, she must be what twenty seven now. If you're in a Marvel picture as a superhero, I'm making assumptions. I'm I just got Disney Plus. Um, she's Aaron. Kate, she's Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye. So. I'm nodding a whole lot. You do not know. Okay. <laughs> Vaguely. I like, I know that she's other, she's, she's Hawkeye's daughter, Hawkeye. That's that I have a card where she's Hawkeye in, in Marvel champions. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also, 
I'm not gonna say it. I I I think I will still care more about the character of Charlie than the character of Kate Bishop. I'm gonna be so bold because she's in Transformers. Because <laughs> um, it's in my favorite thing. That's right. Uh, Aaron, uh, let's talk a little, little bit about Charlie. I'd, I'd, especially now that uh, you know we're coming up. I think that early on, right, there was a whole bit, uh, a bit of a tone of like, look at how much this isn't a Michael Bay human character. Now that we're a little bit separated from that, like, like how do you feel about uh, her performance? I, I think she was very good. Um, like, she, she doesn't seem like a caricature. Hmm. Across anything, because again, that's a an issue that I feel like the Michael Bay movies kind of had for a little bit. Um, every character had to be like what the idea is. Like she's she's a little bit. I don't know if punk would quite be the right thing, but you know she's a kid that's got issues, but she's not yeah. a kid that's got issues turned up to twelve. Like yeah, like yeah, she's a teenager. And she's got his, she's got like the the whole you know dad recently passed away mom's dating somebody and you know very easily we see through her like work in the garage on the car and whatever like that's what her escape is so everything within like that sphere fits mm-hmm. there and it all it, it's all a a character that makes sense. Yeah, uh, that that actually hits on something that, that hit me when I was watching the film uh, over the last, I'd say, year, the couple times I've seen it, uh, today included, where early on, there were a couple scenes where I was always like, eh, this scene doesn't really hit it for me, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, which was the cliff diving scene, and uh, when, like, after B kind of wrecks the living room, when she kind of snaps at her mom and, like, runs off, when it's like, you have so much other things going on right now, and... And now you're kind of just going off here. But then when I rewatched it um, a few more times, I'm like, I like that I can attribute that to the irrationality of her age and her situation. Um, mm-hmm. Irrationality maybe is not the right word, but like she is still well, a maturing yeah, mind. I mean, and it does. She's she's just 18, so yeah, like, and she's like, gone through some rough stuff, like you know, 18 and going through that kind of trauma. It's like. There's a lot firing off in a, in a probably in a brain like that, and it, I like that it it fits together with even parts that I would otherwise say like I don't really this scene feels a little bit out of place to me, and it's like all right, but what if it's happening because like traumatized teenager, and I'm like actually you know what that makes sense that makes sense now yeah that's, um, you know it, when you run back through it you know oh, okay she was a diver what's with all of that stuff okay no it was a thing that she did and her dad was really proud of her for doing that and then. Her dad died right after one of her meets. Yeah, and, and you, so you get, this, you get this horrible association. And, and, and like, I have, I do not have the experience uh, as far as like being a teenager going through that. But like, I just think about like take all that kind of trauma and then add it into uh, what the brain. I, when I remember my brain feeling like at eighteen, and I'm like, yeah, that's rough. Uh, and I feel like that that. That mm-hmm. turns this character who, like, I'd say without it being an insult, caricature, like, she fits this caricature in the opening minute of, like, oh, this kind of character. Like, you know, this is a, this is a character paragraph I'm looking at here. This is really strong. And I like how immediately, like, all of the parts of that caricature are justified by the situation she's in. Uh, especially, we only really know her for a few days. Uh, 
And so, like, we're catching her in the... We meet her in the middle of her going through, like, a horrible part of her life. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's a lot about that character that I just really enjoy... And it's probably bolstered by the fact that, you know, she's in a Transformers movie, but I like that that's in a Transformers movie, too. I can get in, this into a character in a live-action Transformers movie. Uh, but yeah, she also, performance-wise, she kicks ass. Like, that is just a fantastic mm-hmm. performance. Like, and she, she acts alongside the, you know, CG-enhanced, if not entirely CG robot, extremely believably. Uh... It, it's 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 gorgeous stuff, and, and Aaron, like you said, you could take a lot of those scenes, just make him an alien of some kind, and it still would work. Yeah, if you know, if that was ET, and a lot of you know the interactions of things. Oh my gosh, what are you? Oh look, you're having weird interactions with the coffee maker and whatever, and you know, it, it's a it's a thing that just works, and the like we're trying to bridge the gap in communication and emotion and and reactions like you know and again hitting up imdb for some facts you know to help her out (laughs) they did make a full-size bumblebee and then for because she has a lot of like grabbing his head and and reacting like that they had a you know the the hero version head shoulders like upper torso so that you know those scenes, which again had to be a thing that that I think is a one of those pre-production steps that really helps the production, is then that gives your actor actress something to definitively work against. Oh you yeah, know? yeah. So so many other stories that we hear from you know the human actors that were in some of the Bay films. It was like, <laughs> oh, there was a guy on stilts with a. Uh, tennis ball four feet over his head remember remember that, that the we giant were acting pole, against the giant pole with the printout of a face design on the top of it remember <laughs> oh, all those, God, those old I forgot shots? all about those yeah <laughs> or at uh, least that's like marvel who's done a bunch of that stuff with like thanos and the like they actually had the actor there in a big suit and granted he had on like big platform boots and was on apple crates but he was there to give a line to 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 sight on and to act to versus you know mm-hmm. Thanos had just been a no no Thanos is the purple stick with yeah. the face <laughs> on it Groot is the gray one that we put some plastic vines on yeah uh and uh, you know it also helps that the Bumblebee animation was was fantastic and that his eyes and it, it, this was stated many times. Uh, in behind the scenes stuff, they put tons of work into Bumblebee having emotive eyes. Uh, and it's incredible when you go back and look at something like The Last Night, how, like, it, it was such an obvious thing to do. Why was it not done in a previous production to just put so much more life into those eyes? Uh, especially when he has no, uh, mouth to express with. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, it's what I loved about Transformers Prime when that show started that kind of blew me away, you know, coming off of, you know, in the early 2010s, coming off of the heart of the Michael Bay movies and seeing this very kind of Michael Bay movie toned looking Transformers show that felt so much more emotive. And in part of part of it was the eyes were so alive in that show. Um, I Yeah, eyes are so important to Transformers. Uh, and yeah, bumblebees are are fantastic. I like I love the high end bumblebees from this movie. You know, the big three zero one comes with all these different expressions to put in his eyelids because uh, it's it's part of the character. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I can, I can gush about Charlie a whole lot. Um, there's also like, I have bias. There is a lot about her, her character, uh, um, namely you know, the big emotional scene with the, with, in the garage with the VCR and everything. There's a lot about, a lot of those lines that I connect to incredibly tightly. Um, when she's talking about her dad and heart attacks and stuff. And it always like punches me in the throat every time I watch it, uh, even two years later. But that's to the credit of the thing I'm watching. That's to the credit of like making believable characters. And I just, I still love so much that I get to have that in a Transformers movie thing. Uh, we get lots of that in other Transformers media and comics and TV shows, but like, on like its highest media level, it's just so. It still still gets me so uh, worked up and happy, like and and emotional to see it like uh, there, uh, especially after those ten years of highly. Uh, well, there's emotion, but there was never any intent of emotional connection in a lot of those Michael Bay films, mm-hmm. um, and so to have like such a strong one like in this, like I don't know, it's it's like a payoff, you know? It's like hey. <laughs> <laughs> you went through a whole lot of stuff those last 10 years here. We'll have a robot whose defining moment in this emotional scene is giving a hug. Uh, that said, uh, I have run out of immediate topics on my head that aren't just listing things off. Uh, Aaron, I want to bounce over to you. Uh, what's something else you want to, I mean, I just thought of one, but what's something else you want to bring up uh, about Bumblebee? <laughs> um, you know, it put me on the spot like that. I didn't know we were supposed to come up with our own topics. I was just if there's something naturally in there, you know. If not, um, I can start yelling about my my couple. But you know. <laughs> sure, you go ahead and yell while I'll think of a topic because I I I thought we were going to have a more structured conversation. I mean, I I was on I was going I trusted on it. you. I was going on it, then I started talking about the VCR scene and the robot giving a hug, and now my whole brain just exploded again. <laughs> um sitting there literally cooking in my kitchen with this thing on netflix on my phone just to keep it fresh in my mind that gets that scene i'm just like i'm getting i'm getting highly emotional while i'm cooking these sausages (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah uh speaking of more characters in this movie that are just fantastic shatter and dropkick uh violence husband and master wife uh i I talked at the top of this about how, like, you know, they got a new MPM coming out for Bumblebee movie, and it's another, it's Optimus Prime, and I, I question that somewhat. It's because every time I see, I, I, I like the three zero one, but every time I see a high end Bumblebee movie Optimus Prime, I'm always like, huh, cool, funny how that's not Shatter and Dropkick still, ever. So <laughs> I think that Shatter and Dropkick as toys would be very difficult at, at the MPM level. Then friggin' try harder because because you'd (laughs) you'd be expected to have them be triple changers. I yes, I do expect that, and Uh, and you would need to get a car license and a uh, an aircraft license. I I, once again I say and 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 get each of those companies expected to play well with the other. Put the work in. Put the. Hasbro legal ain't used to that much work. Also, I'm I'm salty because we have like a high-end non-transforming line. All all I want are the robots. I would like triple changers. There's a third-party one uh, of Shatter that's going to come out, and I'm going to hopefully pick it up if it's any good. But like, uh, I know he's Optimus Prime, but Optimus Prime in this movie is better as a name that makes Decepticons worried than as an actual character. Uh, 
And I like that. Like, I like that Optimus Prime in this movie is this unstoppable force, almost comically so, when he, like, just leaps off the collapsing tower and lands on a passing seeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like in this movie how he's... It, this actually leans into the impossible... Um, portrayal of Optimus that like you know, a lot of the, the Joe public has become used to now where he's like, oh, he's the superhero. He's, he's the perfect transformer. And I like in this movie that he's also barely in it. He's just frightening for the Decepticons mm-hmm. to there, think there's, about. There's something very imposing about it when you pay attention, because aside from just the fact he's wiping out Decepticons handily, you know, we're right back to the 86 movie in that regard. Uh, when you see, we last see him on Cybertron, he's surrounded by 12 Decepticons among them, Starscream, Soundwave, sh- Shockwave. You know, it's not just grunts. Like, Shatter's in there, too. Shatter's in there, too. So <laughs> he's got a dozen Decepticons on him. But we still see him at the end of the movie just kind of chilling with Bumblebee. He's like, hey, finally I made it. Woo, brushes his shoulder off. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, he, he went from surrounded by the entire named Decepticon cast of this film, cameos included, to somehow just getting out of that scrape... To showing up on Earth, and it's like, yeah, I, I like this. Like, it, I, I've been wondering if this, if if Bumblebee might, in fact, be the last time that we really get like a featured Peter Cullen Optimus Prime, and if it is, I think it is a perfect um, final performance where he is not Optimus Prime the character; he's Optimus Prime the mythological force, uh, who who is too powerful to actually be in the film. Um, which I, I, I kind of dig for the sake of the storytelling of the film, because then it means, of, like, when you get this fantastic villain duo, uh, I'm going to say villain couple of Shatter and Dropkick, I love the stakes involved. Like, Dropkick is a goon. He's a thug. He's like a total, like, Zed list. Like, he's a Decepticon who's good at killing things, and that's about it. Uh He's, he's not even like, he's not even excellent at killing things, because he seems to primarily be good at killing things that aren't fighting back. Um, he, he cuts Cliff Jumper in half after Cliff Jumper's missing an arm and held in place by someone else. He's good at popping humans who are standing there staring at him. And he's, he's able to beat the crap out of Bumblebee when Bumblebee is hanging off the ceiling by chains. Uh, and he, like, he gets in a good fight with Bumblebee, but also Bumblebee wraps chains around him. Dropkick, like, transforms <laughs> chains throughout his entire body in a way such that yanking on them makes him explode. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic, like, just goon-ass thug Decepticon. It, it's such a it's such a weird way to go out. Like, there's something in these movies where I feel like Decepticons are so much more fragile than the Autobots. Because Bumblebee fell off a mountain, and I don't even think he cracked a windshield. I, uh, I like to think of it between Dropkick and Blitzwing. Part of it, in my head, is that Decepticons are so heavily armed that it's to a detriment. Because it's like you just—if you put the—if uh, you, if you crack something and get a spark in the wrong place, you've just ignited their entire Im- internal armory system, and they just like you know Blitzwing, right? You but stick a missile the, into the them. P- portals, turrets, where there are just bullets inside of them. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> He's full of missiles, so it turns out you stick one of his missiles in him and just shoot it. He's like, no, wait a second. <laughs> That's why you use uh, energy weapons. Jeez. Again, Blitzwing, I, I like to think also Blitzwing and Dropkick, maybe a lot of Decepticons don't really like Blitzwing and Dropkick. Like, maybe there's a reason Blitzwing is on a planet that even Optimus Prime thought was entirely unknown to the populace. Because, like, Blitzwing is, is, he's not on Earth, 
Blitzwing is on garbage duty in a backwater planet that doesn't matter. Like, he probably lit up when, when Bumblebee showed up. He's like, wait a second. Wait, it's all been these last 150 years of sitting here finally worth it. Uh, but to, uh, going off of that, like, dropkick, right? Such thug and then shatter to me. Such an absolute, like, fourth tier in command of the, in the Decepticon ranks. Like, she's beneath everyone that we know, but she's above the, like, dumbest ones. Uh, and, and she's like smart enough to get up there, but you've, then you, she's, she's just not been able to crack past the, the ceiling of, of, of Starscream and Shockwave, like these, these absolute power players who are, who are thinking in four dimensional chess and also are intensely lucky. Like, I like to think that, like, she should be on a Starscream level, but Starscream just failed upwards. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's, there's a lot in there, and, and again, probably not intended. There's a lot, though, in the performance of that duo where I'm like, your Shatter is someone who is beneath her rightful station, and Dropkick is someone who is above his rightful station, and they've just been paired up because it gets them out of the hair of a lot of other characters who don't like either of them. Uh, and the, to me, also, clearly, there's like, there is a partnership between the two. Like, uh, there's, there's a good, there's a good candor between them. It, it sort of bums me out that, that dropkick clearly dies. And I'm really happy that, uh, even though I, I slowed it down and maybe she did explode a little bit, there's still no evidence that Shatter actually died at the end. Uh, didn't, didn't see a, a body part. So, uh, you know, fingers, fingers crossed. Anyway, I can gush about them for ages, but they are fantastic villains, uh, for a movie like this. Oh, they are, they are everything that the Michael Bay Decepticons weren't able to be, uh, and uh, without, Without not being scary villains, I love them so much. TJ, I got to stop for a sec here. You, you <laughs> tell me about them. <laughs> I mean, what do I say that you haven't said? Uh, I love them so much. <laughs> yes, yes, they are a very good duo of characters. They play off of each other very well. They are very, very much uh, two sides of the same coin. Where just. You you have a dropkick that's brutal and just violent, and then Shatter, who is far more cunning. It's really refreshing to see Decepticons being deceptive, mm-hmm. and to actually have like a plan that involves just like using like using the human resources to their advantage. They aren't mustache twirlers. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're, they're not, not sitting they, there going, I'm being evil to be evil. Yeah. And, and they're not drooling and snarling. Mm. Yeah, they're like, not the freaking, they're not spitting and they're not made of knives and speaking that uh, stupid Cybertronian language that sounds like people going ooga aga ooga over and over again. Uh, it's, I, I, the, the fact that they actually speak even. Is already yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. How many friggin' like that got lost at some point until like I think the last night those Decepticons would just go like and like flail their arms around and spit a lot. We had a, like, mo- we, we had a movie where Decepticons were just like like clones. Yeah, well, yeah, the babies, the Decepticon infants. <laughs> well, well, well I, I would mean like uh, Age of Extinction, where like everyone but Megatron is just like a converted vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, um, Aaron, 
How about like I again? I did go on a lot, but I love them. Yeah. But, uh... So one thing that I I did notice um, more so on my my latest video, I probably saw it before, but it's nothing that really like clicked in. Was you know we talked about Wheeljack having his like ears light up, Dropkick, um, like he had uh like green electricity across his mouth whenever he would talk. Yeah, yeah he's and, got, and he's, he's got a plasma mouth. Yeah, but that's just yet another thing where it's like this is something that's very kind of cartoonetic or toyetic of like you know a, a different thing about them that's kind of a character trait without saying you know again without going the whole and my face lights up with electricity you know it was just a thing in the world yeah, yeah. and and again that's a thing that I I I really appreciate more towards the like like show don't necessarily tell you know it's not a thing that's anything is made out of it's just a thing that is and yeah and and it's rough when like that's the thing that i like about this movie because it's it's not one that has to be handed to you you know and the i don't just also just noticed a di- another different thing in the bumblebee capture scene you know some of the cinematography things that just gets done that feels good of when charlie gets hit by the electricity she falls over one way and the camera rotates the other and yeah. gives like that's like a, a like a drop out of your gut type of feeling uh, It'd probably be great in IMAX that <laughs> s- seems like previous movies have have not done anything of that sort where it well, was yeah, very it's, much it's, framed for the big explosion or whatever, not to, to continue to crap on the previous movies and or Michael Bay's shooting of them. But it's it's, it's telling, right? The two years later, because because we had a decade of that being our thing that we I feel like at least me, I'll say just me, not everyone else, that I went from cautiously defending to going like, hey, listen, guys, don't pick on us so much like like a decade of coming to accept it, like, man, these are not very well made they're just very well assembled they're very well assembled but not very well well made or crafted and that like the shot you're talking about that's like just good storytelling cinematography uh Mm -hmm. whereas michael bay what i'll always say in his defense he is an excellent uh he's he would be an excellent director of photography he'd be an excellent cinematographer he's got a really good eye uh for the the look of, of 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 things it when it comes to storytelling i feel like he has a handful maybe two or three stories he's really able to tell visually but that's about it you know mm-hmm. like and then it, and then it becomes like what if i cinematographize more um is the flavor i tend to get uh i want to actually call out just on 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 dropkick and shatter that also the triple changer thing uh Again, credit to, to how well assembled these shots were. When they triple changed, it was so well done. Uh, you know, like the, the big shot from the trailers of them flying down, land, turning into cars to land and rolling into robots. Or when they do it vice versa when they leave the base. Uh, Dropkick has this amazing thing that I missed all these years. At least missed as far as wanted to call it out. Uh, when he's fighting B, right? One of his last moves he does is he like, he like rolls away from B into car mode, drives up the side of that pit they're in, like messily transforming into a helicopter to launch off of it, wing around, and start shooting at him. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And the, and the way they used the triple changers, like they did this with B with his car mode a whole lot, but the way the triple changers were used, it was like, you guys get it. Like you get what's cool about having two vehicle modes. Uh, which is another reason why I love them so much is they're triple changers too. Uh, but yeah, I, I can go on and on. Um, trying to think, what, what, what else should we talk about? Aaron, put you on the spot again. Well, can, what, kind of some... talk of that dry dock fight scene. Um, yeah. to be like the, the humans in the mix fight scene. Um, that's one that I really, uh, I, again, I, I think it did a good job of having the human in there have human stakes while the transformers have transformer stakes and have where those two sets of stakes are, are like interacting with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, that's the thing I think that goes a, a, a long way to making, each of those sets of stories feel like they have their own um, like ups and downs and their own consequences and how those consequences have consequences the other way versus, you know, and, and it, it just makes it all feel worthy, worth it. And, and like worthy in there. Yeah. Um, well, you know. you're, it's a visual. It's visual storytelling that prioritizes the robots as characters, prioritizes the humans as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went on about this like two and a half years ago. That first shot of Blitzwing transforming, where his face is the focus during the transformation, yeah. uh, and and that in these action sequences as well. Like, I love those fight scenes. Are so cool. Like, there's a lot of like, there's an oddly a lot of kind of like like kind of like jujitsu going on with Bumblebee. Uh, yeah, Bum- but- Bumblebee does a lot of mm-hmm. like um, Black Widow in the Avengers style of like use my smaller size, you know, use your size against you, get up on you, move you around, yeah, um, so that I can so that I can then like flip you over but type it, of of moves. It's used to get also- to the ground game. It's used in a way where, like, you can, like, the camera's moving, but you can follow, there's a flow to what's happening mm-hmm. that you can follow, and it, again, like, it, and it's taking us, it's taking us through the story of the fight almost, almost a little too literally, I guess I could say. Yeah. But, like, it, it's, it's almost to a point where with some of those, I wonder how much of those were maybe even, like, mo-capped. Uh, yeah, or at least heavily referenced off of, I mean, reference. Everything's got to be referenced at some point, but like, I, I wonder, right. like, if there was just a lot of like, we're gonna pull up some some MMA, some jujitsu footage, and like, really heavily reference off these motions because they make sense for this character. Uh, mm-hmm. Shatter even has a few, like, she does like a, a parry kick at one point. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but like, B's going for like a a kind of uh, like tumbling kick, and then she like turns and kicks his kick to also mm-hmm. pin his leg to the ground, and like, it's so mm-hmm. freaking cool. Uh, I feel like some of that cinematography is a carryover from the live actions because the the action has always been just really, really just like chaotic in just like how these giant robots are able to flip and move around each other. Yeah. yeah. Which, but a lot of it also is just the way that it's framed differently because the previous five movies probably had a bunch of that melee stuff too, but it was always focused on... Like Sam running between the legs of the two of them doing yeah. this. And so yeah. you uh, never got an idea of what was going on. You just got an idea of like there's two buildings running into each other above him, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Oh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say it. Like in those other movies, the Transformers, it's like in, the, in those movies, 
yes, the Transformers can flip around because they're big robots, but that was it. In this film, they took the idea, what if they could flip around, and then turned it into, okay, maybe because they're all different sizes, they have this, like, hand-to-hand combat style that makes sense. In the Michael Bay films, generally, they would just grab each other by body parts and overhand each other into the ground over and over again and punch. And that was about it. Like, mm-hmm. they, that, it was just very, like, I pick you up and throw you, punch you. Well, I pick you up yeah. and throw you and punch you. And that was... That was it for the melee, for the most part, as yeah. I remember it, anyway. Yeah, but I, I remember there was just a lot of, a lot of excessive movement in order to get things done in the in the combat for the original movies. You know, oh yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You get, I mean, the one I, the one I love is Ratchet, like spiral flipping over Brawl just to get one whack with his axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of, like, there is some of that left in the movie. Optimus Prime has this, like, flip over a seeker and, you know, like, roll into, like, sp- spiral into a headlock kind of move that he does. Like, that yeah. feels yeah, but a little at least each of, each of those was also doing a thing, though, versus, like you said, with <laughs> you- <laughs> Ratchet doing five actions to get one swing on his axe when he could have just stood there and gone, flap. I yeah. just realized, like, no, I'm gonna like, do, you- I'm gonna do a double backflip with a tuck curl land in the Iron Man pose, but then come up and axe you from below since I started in the Iron Man landing pose. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You, you were it's, you were also able to state he ends it in a headlock, which is, again, a step, a storytelling. This is true. This is absolutely basic true. level of storytelling. I, that's <laughs> it, it also is very helpful that in this movie you have just solid color palettes to all of the Transformers, even the grunts. Oh, yeah. yeah but I... I what I will say, the Michael Bay movies did get pretty good about color palettes as they went. That's one thing they got good at as they went on was making everyone be brightly colored. It it also highlighted how chaotic the visuals were because like once you took away everyone being kind of monotone, it's like no, there's a red one and a blue one and a green one and I still can't tell what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and they had bright colors, but they're all still like gray skeletons mashing around each other. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, 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 the action in this, in this movie, uh, is another one of those things that felt like a, a reward of sorts <laughs> for everyone who was sticking it out. It was like here, uh, yeah, that, those, those, the, that the last action sequence, uh, I also want to call out, there's some really cool stuff with, uh, with Charlie when she's like looking at the tower and where to go. And it's, it's something that other films have done, but I like how it was used here. Just those kind of hand, the, the better crafted handheld shaky cam push zooms on like mm-hmm. what she's seeing and focusing on. But like again, in the service of storytelling the action sequence more so than, than just intensity, like raw intensity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's very much a thing that's like kind of following her because I I just jumped right to it. It's like following her her eyeline, and you know you're seeing her like they're doing the intercut to her of like going from looking up and then looking down, and then it kind of pans it down to let you follow it. And it's, yeah, it it's it's the small changes that that you know, change the the feel of it all and the intent of it all because, you know, they could have just been like, uh, 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 and not had those intercuts in there and it would have just, it wouldn't have had the same impact. That's where I, I think it's a, you know, a, a much better 
whole cinematography setup and and thoughts about it you know travis yeah. knight coming from stop motion and animation like you got to think about those things before you start them you know oh, before yeah. you before you shoot frame one you've you know storyboarded everything because you can't like go back and do pickups very well and I, and I never want to diminish where where travis knight's coming from because i think it, it did have a hand in a lot of this but like I always want to, I, I kind of always want to highlight, like, a lot of the storytelling, visual storytelling stuff I talk about is, like, yes, it is part of animation, but, like, on a very base level, it's all, like, animation isn't even a factor. It's just also very, mm-hmm. comparatively, just much more succinct and clear visual storytelling of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'm saying it, it, it probably comes from, not that he's done animation, but that if you don't have those steps beforehand in animation, you're going to have a lot worse result. So he's oh, yeah, gotten yeah. himself trained the right way. That's the thing that I'll talk about. I see a lot of drawings for my job, and I can always tell the difference on drawings, or frequently can tell the difference, I won't say always, um, only Sith deal in absolutes, um, <laughs> that I can tell a difference between somebody that's been conventionally trained on how to draft and did it on like a big board with pencil and paper and a square or a drafting arm versus somebody that's only drafted in a computer. Because when you draft something on paper, you have to sit there before you put the first mark down. you got to think about it. Okay, my paper is this size. My thing that I'm drawing is this size. So if I'm going to be doing something like at a one-to-one scale, then in order to have the proper, you know, different views of this part so that somebody can reproduce it, I have to have it laid out like this. And mm. on the page before I put the first bit of graphite down for the first mark. You have to work that out beforehand. Versus if you're doing it digitally, you model it up, you put it on there, you kind of slide it around until, man, that looks fine. And, but it's a thing that when you've seen both of them, like one of them has a cleaner layout, is easier to understand, and if you know done correctly, everything's dimensioned well, dimensions make sense because it goes from like one edge to out and you get a better more complete picture on one view of it because you thought about it beforehand and and in this film i I think that couples also very much with this film is by someone who thinks transformers are cool which i I mentioned this on podcast you know a couple years ago when this came out but like that's also a huge defining factor to this film's entire construction is that i don't think michael bay like hates transformers i just think he doesn't care about them beyond being parts of his set pieces or being cg elements yeah Uh, it's it's a thing where i think michael bay saw them as giant robots and cool cars yeah whereas travis knight not only sees them as characters but like i get the very distinct and it's hard to describe why there's no science to this but like you can tell that this movie is made by people who think this stuff is also really cool and they want to share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's why the nostalgia works for me. Um, and I don't, I don't harp on it as much as I, I find I tend to with a lot of nostalgia based stuff. It, it's because it, it, it comes a, from genuine a, love. Yeah. It's a thing. I think, I think the breakover point is there's no like aw shucks moments in it. Like there's no, None of that, like, kind of look towards the camera, oh, we know it's a toy type of thing, where it's it's just a thing that is. Oh, yeah. And it's, and, a thing that, and it's a thing that is that lives very well in its own, you know, described universe. 
And, and a, so it feels more authentic that way than when it's something that is, you know, overacted or super played out with kind of that look towards the camera of like, you know what this is. And it, there's a very, very thin line that is that that can also still do a line like you, you realize their names are Decepticons, right? Like there's yeah. a, there's a real thin specific, uh, um, I guess eager is the word I'm looking for. Eager flavor uh, and delivery that can do that. And it's not common. And it's a very mm-hmm. special mindset that is key to stuff like this. It's it's part of what works in a lot of good tokusatsu. Is a mindset that loves this stuff and doesn't want to make excuses for it. Uh, and it comes through even... Remember when Travis Knight wrote that... He wrote the copy that that went with those review samples of uh, of NPM Bumblebee, where it was this lengthy letter about just the good times of childhood messing with toys, and not in the like mm-hmm. groggy or grognard shuddy like remember the good old days when we made a diecast. It's like this guy going like remember how cool it was that this thing turned into a robot. We hope that magic yeah. like comes through to you when you love this, and it's it's such a fine line. I remember when that stuff was coming out, there were people in the fandom who were sick of the more like the chuddy flavor nostalgia and and i i you know rightfully so and they were reacting to a lot of this stuff early on with a, a very heavy cynicism and and i remember like how how hard it was to like find a way to to talk about it between those lines of like this is a real unique production that we are fortunate to be experiencing and and that i hope informs what comes next like you know now we're going to see uh in a couple years but yeah, uh, I the the attitude of this production is another thing I can go on and on about. Uh, and I appreciate that Travis Knight also on the record was like, I don't really feel like being the Transformers guy. Like he didn't say that specifically, but when people were like, "Hey, so Bumblebee too," Travis Knight had those very like, "I'm not saying no, but it really isn't like the next thing I'm fixated on doing" kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it it. it it really validated the genuineness that I felt coming off the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and it also, like, shies away from the whole feel of just, like, hey, we're just going to milk this one now because it actually made its money back, even with a much lesser budget. It did way better than the last one. So now we've got the formula, and we're going to put one of these out every 18 months. Yeah. That's the thing. There's no formula we're, for we're this. Starting, we're starting on pre-production for Bumblebee 4 right now while Bumblebee 3 is in production and Bumblebee 2 is in post-production. Yeah. First edit. Like we're we've got throw them stacked. bags of money. We've, we've <laughs> got them stacked up like it's the MCU, baby. Woo! Well, it's, it's not like them throwing the money sack at Michael Bay to make him stop saying I don't want to every like mm-hmm. 18 months. Yeah. Uh, and the only formula to this is, just, to me, it's just two things. Find someone who thinks Transformers are cool, genuinely, and always remember that this is a kid's movie. Like, those are the two mm-hmm. keys to me. Because uh, you can still have you can still have your double S-bombs, and you can still have Cliff Jumper getting, getting murked in half. You know, you can still have that stuff. You just, but you don't have to have, like, all the, the sweaty stuff that came with a, the, the, the 10 years of Michael Bay. Yeah. Uh, this was such an unsweaty movie, too, and quite literally. Like, Michael Bay characters are glistening half the time by the end of the movie. Uh, Come on, John Cena was glistening in the end. I mean, it was, you know, covered with his own blood. But na- Also, nat- you know. John Cena is a naturally glistening guy. Like, it's that wrestler thing, yeah. right? Like, you start generating uh, it's, your it's, own baby oil. And- yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but you never it never comes off completely, you know. Yeah, there's there's always going to be a layer left. Years of of absorbing it in, eventually it like seeps <laughs> back out at some point. Yeah, yeah, I you're really just a you're you're actually like an oil sponge. I don't think all wrestlers do the baby oil thing still. I'm just I'm using those words I learned on the internet. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of, of uh, other major the the other major note I have is, and this goes back to how I mentioned that it felt like I wish this movie was actually a bit longer because I felt like there are characters who are on screen missing uh, a key moment from their arcs. That also extends to Charlie's family and to Memo. Uh, because, like, Charlie's family and Memo both suddenly are really cool at the end of the movie. Uh, they also were not really in the movie a ton, and I feel like we missed the moment where they became cool, if that makes any sense. Um, and and it, I think it also comes off of how much of a strange production this was. It just feels that way to me. Like, that there were scenes that maybe would have filled in some of these gaps that don't exist anymore, or, you know, vice versa. Uh, but, like, Charlie's family, like... It's, John Cena has a little bit of a whiplash. I feel like they do as well, where they are us, a certain kind of family, which is they are they are there to be a negative force in Charlie's life. Uh, and it almost feels like the actual family was off screen the entire time until Charlie snaps at her mom. And we start to see a little bit of like, this is also a widow. Uh, and I wish we had a little bit more time with them, I guess. I wish, yeah, I, I, I wish I, they yeah. got to meet B earlier. Yeah. I think like one or two more breathing scenes of like them dealing with that, you know, maybe the mom having a reaction back and all of that a little bit more of, yeah. Like, because the way that she phrases it, it's almost like her mom wasn't her mom, maybe. It's like, weird. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, it's my dad, your husband versus like, like, well, that, like that's, you know, a, a little bit of phrasing in there that was kind of kludgy. I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. That, that made it feel like, like she was more detached between the two, like between the sets of everything. And I think, like, a scene in there where the mom kind of cracks back and all of that, you know, um, you know, in everything. Like, yeah, you lost your dad, and I lost the love of my life since high school or something like that. And then they can both have a <laughs> moment to realize Whoa. what the other one's seeing and dealing with. And then you go on from there, and then that can be the kind of the point that's the turn for... Yeah, for, like yeah. for, for to, Mom, to get into you moved what they on were. And you're happy with your new life. Yeah. You had a replacement yeah. for my dad and I have it. That was the for my that, dad. That's that's and kind of like, the well, that's the ligament, right, that I'm missing is like I, yeah. I like what was the trauma like for her mom and all and then who is Ron, you know, the, her her mm-hmm. new love. Like clearly an actually great nice guy. Uh at least as far as the film depicts him. Like that's almost the that's almost the reveal is like he actually yeah. is a great guy, but I'm like, again, like just for 30 seconds, like, yeah. like what, what was this experience for mom? Yeah. And then who is Ron? How did he, yeah, I, yeah. how was I, he there? Yeah. I think like the crack back a little bit more crack back from the mom in there. And then you have the long pause of like Ron with the little brother, like, like, you know, hold on, bud. Come on. Like, like they kind of need this so that then they can all realize that there's, 
there's hurt and there's healing that's going on in here to then make the whole like Ron comes out doing something that he saw in Miami Vice in order to get uh, Sector Seven off of her tail, like to have that have a bit more more punch, more yeah. or not necessarily more punch, but more like feels feel like it's earned at that point, not just the like oh you've got to trust me, and then he's like sure let's go ride or die right. Yeah, like we this movie, and and I, I'll just say right now, to, in case this this comes up in the thread, like I think there is a place for this in kids' movies, but this movie is almost a really strong story about getting through trauma, and it kind of is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the but, way they felt like they had to explore that was through Charlie's diving. Yeah, like that 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 was her emotional trauma growth. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and they, we, they did they did touch on that a few times through the movie. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess what I mean is it's there, and it's almost what I want it to be. But I, the more I get into it, the more I start to notice the family being the weak link of the uh, yeah. plot wise, or not plot wise, but but arc wise. That we we don't know what this trauma was to them. Yeah, and I, I wish I knew. Like, was was her brother even old enough to know his dad? Like, or was he, like, did he really... Yeah, I, I think it's the thing that, like, if maybe they'd had, like, a previous version, like, before we see the videotape, like, have Charlie... It, it'd be hard to do with the way that everything's framed. Yeah. But to have, like, Charlie at either that meet or maybe a meet beforehand and then the rest of the family there, too, so that we actually see the dad as an actor or something, and so there can be some other connection there that lets you make that connection with the rest of the family and dad. But yeah. as it stands now, we only see dad in what the one photo cuz he's behind the camera. And 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 I'll, you know, what I'm asking for is to a degree perfection in and I still think this is that the story they tell is very strong. Yeah. It still gets a massive emotional reaction out of me uh at at one or two very specific moments, but like it's it's why I just oh, if they could just hit that one last little note or like Mm-hmm. This is what in my mind is like. What's not quite right though, and it's it's this. Yeah, uh, and then it's probably one of those things that I bet with that in there, then it would do odd things to the other pacing of the rest of the movie. That we're like, yeah, the pacing's so great, and then in our perfect versions, we add these eight minutes of cruft in odd places everywhere. Like, wow, there are these eight minutes in here that are crap. Why are they well, in here? It's a yeah, it's cause... an odd science. It's not odd. It's a hard science. Like like pacing out of a film production, and you know. Mm-hmm. The right decisions were made, and it's just like, all right, but like now that I'm invested, I also want the other stuff too. Like, give me a, give me a direct, not a director cut, I guess, if the director's happy with it. But like, give me a cut, give me extended cut, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and with, with memo as well, like, like Me- memo is almost the way I think of him. He's almost in the movie, but never yeah. really gets to be in the movie, and yeah. I think that's also he- a shame. I, I, I think it's also rough because he was the shy, awkward guy. Yeah. And yeah. So then yeah. he does he he doesn't put himself to the front of anything, mm-hmm. and then it's like he's not in the front of everything. No, he feels like he's there. So Charlie has somebody who can answer back when she talks. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and. and- I don't like. I'll, I'll say it. I don't want him to like get the girl at the end. In fact, I think this movie oh. makes a, a beautiful statement about the validity of platonic love. Uh, but I also feel like, just the same as the family, I feel like I missed a key memo scene that just wasn't in the movie. Uh, and and I feel like something's missing I mean, in my experience with him. 
you know. I it, mean, they it, they, again, they did cut the all important scene where he pulls out the GoBots magazine. Yeah, I mean that that is a travesty that you know I I, I wasn't going to bring up because it would make me mad. Uh, also, I forgot about it until you mentioned it just now. GoBots <laughs> exists in this world, but not the Transformer series. I like it. We're in like the it. other. We're in the other universe where that franchise won. See, and that would have been an interesting gag to have Memo just be like, "Oh, he's like a GoBot or something." That would have been so perfect. Oh my god, yeah, because he's a nerd already, right? And like, I that would have been cool. With that or like just some other. Like, I, I, hope, thing. I hope that with him with that like book in there, that that was a line that at some point they're just like. No, there's like okay cheese, and then there's not okay cheese, and that's like. I mean, I literally d- want to say d- the line d- was just like a like, stop and a half past the okay cheese. Yeah, like I literally want to say that's the line. I like, I, I wonder if if that became a brand stepping in thing too, where they're like, "Hey, listen, this is an entirely brand positive." Pointing out the GoBots, like, even though they own them, I bet you there might have been also yeah. that kind of rumbling. Uh, uh, but I bet the only people that would have really gotten it would have been the people that were already appreciating the eighties and everything. Brand yeah. rumble, though, you know, like yeah. the, the, don't say transform, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, like, like I feel like Memo should have been in the film more, and I feel like Charlie's family should have had one scene at least, or just something—not even scene. Charlie's family needed to tell me their side of her trauma. And Memo needed to be in the movie, I guess, is the way I would put it. Because <laughs> uh, also and the you, actor I thought was awesome. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, you brought it up, and I think it's, it is an important point. I'm very happy they did not go with, like, a romance angle. Yeah. You know, okay, Memo went for it. No, 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 we're not there yet. Okay, good enough. Like, because that is that yeah. is always like that's always the, the movie trope that gets on my nerves. Like we've known each other approximately seven hours. I love <laughs> yeah. you. In these moments, you have shown me your entirety, and I have decided. <laughs> uh, well, because th- th- it's a it's a two sided thing. Because there's that, and then there is the the endless jokes afterwards of like of like y'all she horny for that bumblebee, and it's like no. Like, I watched it a few more times, and I'm like, I get where the joke comes from, and haha, okay, yeah, it's pretty funny, except, like, I'm kind of, I kind of got tired of it, because I'm like, I feel like that undermines, like, what I was saying, there, there is a beautiful platonic, uh, love message in this movie, uh, about just the value of caring for one another, uh, mm. and I really like that, and I think it also is a beautiful thing to put into a kid's movie, and it, in, you know, on a more base level, it's another, this ain't, the last decade thing of like this movie doesn't end with with uh, big tongue snogging on top of a transformer hood or anything yeah. like you know the the weird thing that turned into a whole headcanon thing for me with Bumblebee. Uh, it's just I, it, it felt really good to me, uh, and it made also made me excited to see these characters again, which I had to accept. Like when the movie ended, I was like, we're probably not going to see these characters again, and I have to be okay with that. Uh, but it, it excites me though, just the idea of like, even if we cut to like 10 years later, I want to check in with these characters because they know the Transformers and they're friends that the, the Transformers can rely on. And I, I like that idea. It's, it's yeah. a real wholesome idea, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, I like the idea that they can establish and tell a full story with the human characters and not make the Transformers feel insignificant. Like, that movie hit that balance yeah. that, the, that the Bay movies just never could figure out. I like that, and it gives me assurance. If we get a Bumblebee 2, because we know they're working on something, some Bumblebee 2, I wouldn't mind seeing another cast of characters and seeing how they interact with Bumblebee Optimus and whoever else was landing at that in that final scene of the movie. You know, just because yeah. I know they can actually pull that off in a two-hour window. But, yeah, like... If they had like some secret little help that happened to come from Charlie, and we didn't, we don't figure that out until like two thirds into the movie. I'd be so down for that. Or yeah. friggin', friggin', if it's the '90s and there's some kind of Decepticon uprising, I friggin' imagine if you know what are we gonna do? We're trapped in this warehouse. This barricade's gonna kill us. Someone kicks the door down. It's friggin' like older Charlie with like a just a, a botched together like laser cannon ripped off the side of some Decepticon ship. Uh. <laughs> Friggin' throw in the big-ass goggles that come with such imagery. I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool, too. <laughs> Let her be the actual earned role that was the Mark Wahlberg character from from the last two Bay movies. Except that, like, this character earned it. It's like, this is actually the cool inventor. Uh, yeah, I... I feel like we're kind of we're kind of getting to like the the cap the end capsule thoughts here, uh, which I you know I'm a predict that we all really like this movie. Uh, it's no, it was horrible. It was disgusting. I don't. Yeah, why why they, did you make uh, me watch this again? Should have just been the first three minutes, but like for twenty times. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> There's one scene in the movie I'm a little bit iffy about. Let's hit it. Let's uh, hit it. Bumblebee in the house. I like it, but I don't. I guess I would say I like it, but I don't feel like I have to also defend it because, like, you got to be into that kind of thing, and it is a bit—it's—it's it's a little saccharine, I guess. Yeah, that's that's where it gets a little bit hokey and over the top. It's like it's—it's it's precious. Bumblebee, it's a little too precious. Yeah, because well, this is part of it. It's like Bumblebee's just super curious, but also he's breaking everybody's stuff, and he won't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. uh I attribute some of that to I don't know if this was intentional but like if you if you follow Bumblebee's actions from when he wakes up it's kind of like he's going through childhood and puberty mentally like through the at an accelerated rate through the film he starts off like afraid of everything and he's like you're my friend and then he's getting a little bit more mischievous and then he's just straight up like let's vandalize this car and run away from the cops yeah yeah, it's a thing that I feel like the timing on it, if, like, the first day this had happened, not the whatever second or third day when he sneaks into the house, which, like, again, is the thing that I don't think it'd work for that, for, for timing and pacing and everything else, but it seemed like the first, his whatever, first day or so, like, hey, go out for a drive with the mom and not do anything too weird and go out and do these couple other things and learn, hey, I'm not supposed to be weird, okay, Seemingly takes that message to heart, and then a couple days later, I'm going to try and get through a doggy door. I'm going to try then... to sit on a couch. Yeah. <laughs> it. I mean, what I will defend, it did give us the golden moments of him half-transforming in several different directions to fit through stuff. Yeah. Uh, which which was pretty cool. Also, the, the running away from the cop scene did a bit of that, too, which was a really cool idea. Uh, but yeah, it's also, it is a bit precious. Uh 
I would go back to my kids' movie defense, though, of, like, that that has a place in a, in a kids' movie, but I would not fault anyone for getting a little bit sick of that scene. I'm not uh, sure if it's just sick of it. It's just... I I mean, there there's, like, my memory circuits are not working, and I'm a bumbling idiot. And it, it felt it, like my action hero should not cross that line. The one thing about that scene production-wise, is that scene was supposed to turn into him all sparking half the appliances in the house. Uh, hmm. Which I think would not have worked, and I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, but that scene also, as far as serving a purpose, needs him to eventually stick his finger into the wall uh, so that he can be found. Um, and yeah, it may, when that is when it is a vehicle just for that, then one could say, like, you probably could have just done that in the garage. Uh, yeah, because because also him massacring the living room to me, especially given their actions later, the natural progression of that scene is all right, mom, this is the robot. Be say hello to my family. That's the natural uh, conclusion of that scene to me. And I I think I would have liked it more if at that moment B just introduced to the whole family and brought them in on it as opposed mm-hmm. to the the kind of like oddly brief um the military's telling her parents that she's stealing government property blah 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 like the kind of weird iron gianty stuff that like the, yeah. every, every the government time the movie, war robot yeah whenever, whenever the movie felt iron gianty i felt like it was kind of losing the plot a bit like it was sort of forgetting what what a cybertronian is and it's only briefly um it's not enough to like wreck the film but like those little moments like i, I know people like them because it's iron gianty but it also felt like this is really from a different movie to me uh like when bumblebee gets mad like him his eyes turning red it's like all right like here, here, this is mine this is my kind of like i just sort of went all right at it is his eyes turning red when he's mad because it's like why though because it didn't mean he was a different person and it didn't mean he went into war mode it just appeared, appears to be because he's mad, which on a meta level to me is like, oh, you saw the Iron Giant. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that was a bit much. I, I, w- I mean, I don't want it explained in the movie. That's that's a little bit too much, too. I don't know what I want out of that. It's just that that, that bit always makes me go like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then that scene should have ended with John Cena picking himself up, seeing Bumblebee taking uh, Charlie's hand and calming down, going like, oh! I was wrong about you, and I wish that was on screen, that, that yeah. little moment. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's another one of those, like, 30-second, you know, half a page of, of dialogue or something that I feel like is missing in a few of yeah. those. You know, like I said, the whole thing, when he, you know, his eyes turn red and he just wrecks everybody there, you know, if he'd said something to one of the survivors like, oh, I think we might have read this wrong, you know? That'd be enough so that then when it, you know, then when he's rolling in with a cavalry with the Huey to to shoot at things and then crash and get caught by Bumblebee, it can, like, the catch of by Bumblebee can really be the reaffirmation that, like, okay, yeah, I did read this wrong and then read it right finally and has more, like, better feeling of the soldier and then snap the salute that then Bumblebee's like, yeah, cool. I also feel like there could have been a little moment in there, because John Cena's character was unconscious for most of the Blitzwing fight. I feel like there could have been a real cool moment where John Cena is just like, why won't you talk anymore? Because, uh, he, you know, 
make mm-hmm. make B's silence part of the reason why John Cena is still so suspicious of him. And then have Charlie go like, wait, what do you mean talk? And like, don't stretch it out into like a whole thing. But like that, that little moment, I think could have also been a beautiful button on a couple stories that, that I, I wish was there, uh, just to, to bring it all together. That would have needed to be in reshoots though. And perhaps that just was mm-hmm. impossible to, to reference his voice ever. Uh, cause that's the impression I got. Um, but yeah, also we're, we're coming up on, on my little, uh, what I was going to call the ceiling on the time for this, uh, Anything else that you guys really want to get out out of your out of your mouths about Bumblebee that you still haven't said yet? Any any real any real biting ones, or or should we go to my one last question? There, like one of the things that got me that was goofy is like we know that before Sector Seven or Sector Six, I always forget Sector Seven Sector. was supposed to have Iceman. And that was apparently a thing that was in the first shoots. The, oh. the like the first version of everything is a like a credit stinger um, that we don't get to see now because it never happened. This wasn't a prequel. Aaron, um, you you actually just read that was my final question. I was going to okay. ask. Uh, yes, there apparently there was footage in this film of an ice of a Project Iceman to explain Megatron's absence, and for mm-hmm. various chaotic reasons of this production it was just decided let's just never mention megatron uh right. my simply do you think that that would have enhanced the story we got like getting that little moment of a megatron in here just to put the little topper on it uh because honestly i don't know i think i mean i would love it let's just be real like as a fan i'd be like oh it's megatron uh i don't think the film would need it but i don't think the film would have been hurt by it either no so i don't it's- know the the thing is, like, again, it's it's a case where you know Optimus Prime wasn't in this movie very much. Like he was in there and he had, you know, important business, but Optimus Prime wasn't a driving point in the movie. So what would Megatron have been then? He would have been the big bad. So then we have another enemy person. Oh, no, he, he that would have been. I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming he would have been frozen. Like he would never have moved. He would have oh, been frozen. So, so you're full saying stop. like what the in- initial idea was? Yeah, it, yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. if it's a thing that maybe was there to explain why this group exists, that's kind of a military group, but not. You know, maybe okay. Um, but that was where I was. I was going with my w- kind of one other thing is like, you know. I think that something like that that explains this group a little bit more, other than there's some weird extra branch of the military. Like, why do they have cabled harpoons in between yeah. a twin mount? <laughs> yeah. Like, M2s on the roof of all of their Humvees. Like, you know, that's something that would be, you know, have some explanation. And again, could be something that was in there, but since they decided to roll it back some like we were we're stuck with them being sector seven and some of this other stuff and we can just kind of hand wave away that they're a military group it turns it turns out blitzwing had shark decons they were prepared for yeah so but Uh, but it's one of those things it's like you know because a harpoon on a humvee's kind of an odd thing that's not that's not standard hardware anywhere you know, something that explained that maybe a little bit. That's that's an odd thing that's very much a plot convenience that they have this and then like very rapidly develop the taser 
blunderbuss things that surely that didn't come out of their association with dropkick and shatter in the course of a long weekend like no no and and, and also there's a there is a timeline that my awe before by the way is just to say it's not shark to cons but it talking about blitzwing and like james bondy stuff like like pits mm-hmm. pits full of sharks like read that bumblebee prequel comic it is genuinely really fun uh it is a james bond story but with bumblebee as the car um uh, I, I was going to say there is a timeline thing in this movie that is also kind of fuzzy because the opening scene with Blitzwing is there's no way that that's like even just a week before the rest of the movie because uh, not only does Bumblebee like end up you know really dusty with a full honeycomb beehive on him in a tarp like in in some like junkyard uh, but also John Cena's character is no longer in the army I didn't notice this for multiple viewings until uh, until I noticed it. He's, he's in the army, and then the next time we see him, he's a ranking member of Sector 7. No, it, it, in the very beginning, they've got Sector 7 shoulder patches. Oh, do they? He's, I forgot they, about they that. Have S, they have S7 name tape. This I just jumped back forward. He, okay. They have the weird, he's got like the three bars on his lapels this was a new thing that i was doubly thinking of today when i was watching it again going like wait a second like how does he like how much time took place between then and now and how come yeah. he's in sector seven now but i, I it was on my phone so i didn't see the yeah. s7 no the, there there is like one thing to tell you that there's been some passage of time is at the end of the bumblebee blitzwing fight like he has a big gash down the right side of his face yeah, the, yeah. Then, the scar. And the Charlie with Bumblebee time is like it's a scar, but it's a healed up. Like this is a old scar. Yeah. On his face. So I, I feel like at least at least a year must have passed to me. Yeah. Um and, and I and I don't need like I don't need the movie to say it, but like I also feel like given the kind of movie it is, it wouldn't have been out of character to have like <laughs> One year like a, later. Yeah. <laughs> Six months later. Yeah, something. Because otherwise I start, because it's live action Transformers, this is, you know, scarring I have from the 10 years prior. My immediate thought is like, well, nothing says live action Transformers, like nonsensical causality, where, where things are suddenly wrecked and dusty and old, covered with beehives after mm-hmm. a day. <laughs> what's, what's the geography of the Smithsonian again? Uh, old jokes. Smithsonian, I can't remember anymore. Jetfire yeah, thing. Yeah, Smithsonian. You know, yeah, right, they, they right, walk out. They walk out the back door of the uh, the Smithsonian out into the middle of the desert. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, right yeah, outside yeah. of Washington D.C. on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that that Virginia area just known for its massive deserts. Genuinely, mm-hmm. I a few seconds ago there, I was like, "Am I misremembering this as worse than it was?" But thank you, you clarified. No, I was not no, misremembering. Just as bad. Uh, <laughs> You just wish it weren't. Yeah. I yes, guess Bumblebee clo- sta- seems to stay in Redwood Forest the whole time, which is what the the west coast of the country is more likely to have. Uh, well, one last little note, because we didn't say it, and I always like to point it out. I appreciate that they got an actor to painstakingly do a young John Turturro caricature for something that was also summarily dropped, by all accounts, Except for the one moment where John Cena says Simmons. Uh, I appreciate that actor. And I appreciate that little moment. And I don't think that we ever need it to happen again. Because 
That moment became the bane of my social media for like a day once when I was having, you know, remember that period where it was, there were just somehow there were lots of arguments about what, like whether this was still in canon with the live action movies. Mm -hmm. I just remember one time someone's like, yeah, but Simmons was in it. I'm just like, you know, now maybe, you know what? Maybe I wish he wasn't if this is the end result. (laughs) That we're yeah. debating this because let's just say it. All right, it's been two years. This is not a prequel. It once was, but what you watched on your Blu-ray disc or on Netflix or whatever was not a prequel canonically and barely even spiritually. Yeah, it's uh, literally impossible for it to be a prequel. And and even if you're going to say spiritually, because the face is the same, then it's like, and Simmons is a name in it once. It's like, and Sector Seven is a name in it. It's like, okay, you know what? Sure, if that's what we're going to call spiritually, sure. But like, spiritually to me is almost insulting to the 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 cinematography and the love of Transformers that the movie exudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I guess can take us to just like, hey, now that we're we're hitting the top of this podcast. The one thing I feel bad about whenever I talk about this movie, and this podcast is evidence of it, is how I don't want to talk about this being better than the Michael Bay films, because I think that's that's almost disrespectful to just how pleasant to Transformers media this is, but I can't stop making the constant comparisons, even when I don't want to. Uh, And I want to just say, I think those comparisons, I think it sucks that that still is the identity of the movie. <laughs> Even when I don't want it to be, I keep saying stuff about the Michael Bay films. And I, I want to implore, like, and this is on me too, like, as we keep going forward, you know, three years on from the movie, four years, we got to talk about just how pleasant and nice a movie this is. And we got to eventually leave that other baggage in, in the back end car of the train. And then, hey, maybe five years later, someone pull the lever, let that back end car just go flying off into the mountains and we forget about it. Cause it's, it's the movie, the movie is so good and not just because it's better than those ones. That, that bar is insultingly mm-hmm. low. <laughs> yeah. For what this movie well, is. Well, I mean, it's the, it's the unfortunate case that we're stuck in of like, that's what we had as, as the metric for a long time. So that's why it's going to get compared to that because, that's the metric that we've had for yeah. such a long time. And you can listen to podcasts of me enjoying that metric at the time constantly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in like the more I think about those days, the more I'm like, no, there, I did enjoy watching those things, but there was also like, there was an ignorance to how much I liked them just because Transformers. And I wish I had been more cognizant of that over those 10 years as opposed to like kind of realizing it near the end because uh, I say a lot of things now where you can easily go like oh but you you even enjoyed Revenge of the Fall and it's like yeah in 2009 I made a ton of excuses for something I had fun watching in a theater yeah. once mm-hmm. and a lot of those excuses were garbage and they were born of an ignorance that I feel thankfully I have at least partially grown out of I mean, you, uh, you asked me, like, like in the moment, like, watching a monster truck rally. In the moment, it's awesome. But after the fact, ask me to critique it as a race. No! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can, in the moment, it's great. But if you ask me to analyze it, okay, no, this is not the most technical masterpiece in existence. 
Yeah. Revenge of the Fallen is fascinating because of the writer's strike. And the more you learn about how that movie was made, the more fascinating it can become. But, like, in a detached scientific way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of the last thing I wanted to say. Like, we've all been doing it. And it's like, yeah, I can't blame someone for doing it, even leaving myself out. But... It frustrates me so much how much, like, like we said at the very beginning of this, how you can tell someone, oh, I'm watching Bumblebee, and they'll be like, oh, one of those. And it's like, yeah, that's freaking, that's the ball and chain stapled to this thing still two years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's people, you, you'd think like, well, well, that's number six. So you get people like, oh, how can number six be better? But there's also a lot of people that dropped off after like three or even two. Yeah. Just, it does just think every single one's going to be more the same. And, and you know, they, they, they were, but not, how do you put this? They were, but not like the way that people thought they were. It was like they were, but worse, but in a fascinating way. I, I can go on, but I won't. Uh, but yeah, how about Aaron? Uh, at the top of this thing, like, mm-hmm. It's been two years, and it's to me, it's still a high point. How are you feeling about it? I still really enjoy it. I think it is the best Transformers film that we've gotten. Um, period. Not even live action. Yeah, Suck it, animated I movie. I, uh, <laughs> I, I agree. This is, I, and I'm, I, it's not a debate to have, in my opinion, because they're two very different movies. Yeah. I just think this tells... There's a lot about the story of this movie. I didn't say this earlier, but like... This movie to me feels like if you ignore how, you know, advanced the CG is, a lot about this movie is an 80s, 90s adventure movie. Uh, mm-hmm. p- partly by design. Like the, the soundtrack alone is like, yeah, this is by design. The soundtrack is a little bit much at times. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that there was a lot of soundtrack. Um, yeah. Coming back and watching it again recently. Not that any of it's really bad. And, and, and literally, um, not, not quite. I it was like at one point in time, I was thinking kind of along the lines of like Guardians of the Galaxy, where yeah. maybe maybe there were points that were like, hey, these are like somebody put together the hey, this is the soundtrack that I got in order to listen, like in order to get myself in the mindset of the time frame and the energy that I want in this, and then that played out in like. And it goes in this part of the script. J- James Gunn is, you know, my limited experience with James Gunn. He, he seems like another Travis Knight in that you kind of want to, you kind of want to grab him at one point and go like, I, I want to shake you, but you're the rare case where this is genuine. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a lot, but I can tell that you actually feel this way. So I can't be mad, but like, this is a lot, sir. Please turn it mm-hmm. down. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> in this apartment beneath you. Uh but yeah, like th- like this movie feels like there's nothing there's nothing loudly 2000s about it. I don't know how else to put it. It just feels like a a timeless adventure of sorts that benefits from modern CG. Uh just to just to freaking gush on it some more. TJ, uh here here at the end of this podcast, um anything else? Like boy, 2 years and it's a standout. It is. It, it genuinely is. I have friends who I still just like, I'm, I'm just browbeating them and getting them to watch this movie. Because, like, no, I swear to God, it's not like the other ones. Please. Just get, just one more chance. I'm begging, I won't ever ask you to watch another movie. 
Like, like that level of, you need to watch this just so your perspective can be different. Because from what we're seeing and the response that this movie got, we're probably going to be gearing up for more movies in the same vein. And yeah. I want, I don't want people to overlook them the way they did Bumblebee and just roll their eyes and go, oh God, another Transformers movie. No, 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 no. It got better. You know, like, you, you know, like, you know, like, it's like, it's like, it's like going for like the, the, the Batman movies, like the Joel Schumacher movie to like the yeah. Dark Knight. Like there's a noticeable improvement. And I I want you to know that that improvement exists so that when the next one comes out, you don't go, Ugh, you know, because it deserves a lot better than that. Although I would I would say it's more so Batman and Robin than Forever. Forever Forever still had vision. Batman and Robin, I love the documentary about it because Joe Schumacher is basically like, yeah, they screwed my vision t- with toys all the time for this entire thing. <laughs> they kept showing me new toys that I had to put in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, my only fear about those upcoming movies is like, I, I, I fear the bad version of trying to manufacture Bumblebee, uh, only cause I don't want something mediocre that people, that you, you and me and everyone else finally convince people like, okay, I'll give this another shot. And then it's like mediocre. Like, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hope that hands off is one of the bullet points as far as like, whatever they do next. Like we're going to leave hands off a little bit. We're doing so many of them. This is not, this is not our pinnacle feature. This is just part of our media empire. So we don't need to treat it like it's going to be the, the, the flagpole of our, of our franchise. That's my hope that can come with bad things too. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a thing that I'm afraid that since it had a successful release that then they're not going to, to like, okay, what did we do before? Like, don't go and change any settings. <laughs> we tried to kill like, it. That's what we did like, before. <laughs> yeah. Like, we we got this one to work. So obviously, what it needs is a bunch more producers and all of them with notes that have to be taken, and then an editor that has final say in the cut. That's how we'll, put, uh, we'll do the next one, so that we get the same result. Like, put I don't Lorenzo want that to happen. Back in his, put him back in his crate, please. Like, okay, bring a, bring him out to spit up some money on a plate. So that you can make the movie, but then put him back in his box, please. Uh, yeah, th- th- this is this is potentially such a th- such a, a thing if they can really hit that magic because this was also a good movie. And the thing about the '86 movie is it's a fun Transformers thing more than it is a good movie. Movie. This actually happened to be a good kids' adventure movie. Full stop. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. You can enjoy like TFTM. I, I don't want to dog on the thing because like it's also a fun adventure, but it's a uh, it's also way more of a mess if you really think yeah. about it a lot. I mean, uh, yeah, I, t- I took a friend there who knows nothing about Transformers, and she was just lost. Like she could agree there's fun parts about it, but she had no idea what was going on in that movie. Yeah, like like if you gotta really divorce yourself from from having probably if you're if you are in your in your you know uh, millennial to Gen X age level there's a chance you've watched the transformers movie for like 30 years plus probably several tens if not hundreds of times so you're no longer questioning a thing like unicron for instance uh which i i think unicron is a lot to swallow if you just throw that at someone um anyway uh 
I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next because we don't know what it is, and that's the most exciting thing. Uh, and, and all we know is that Bumblebee did better than it was supposed to, and one hopes that the good version of the the Hollywood machine, uh, one hopes that the, the, the positive side of that sword is going to come through on the next thing, but we'll see. Episode 600 of this podcast, this is also special to me, I just realized, because our opening year of this podcast was our our intensely over-eager build-up to Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, and I feel like this is such a wonderful, like, milestone to put a flagpole in where that's the origin. It's like, <laughs> let's go back to episode one now and go like, hey, hey, I brought this back in time with me. You want to watch this movie? Uh, and so, I would, I would be astonished. Uh, anyway. Aaron, thank you uh, for joining me, and also and, and TJ, thank you for joining me, and, and thank you both for also uh, being on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of recordings. Um, I honestly thought I'd have something better to do by now. Yeah, me too. Not me too. I, actually, I, <laughs> I, I thought I, you'd have something better to do too. That's... What, what it, I'll also say is, like, don't, obviously, don't stall is, out on the joke. Don't be a coward. Obviously, this is coming on the back of like. Also, the 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 wonkiest and most uh, awkward and strange and damaged production year of this podcast's entire history. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you believe me when I say that I'm I ain't giving up on it. Even if it gets wonky, I still want to do what we want to do because I still have fun talking about this stuff. Uh, speaking of which, we ain't we ain't talked about toys we got in a while. Uh, so next episode. My plan is we're not going to do like the what all we got for the last 800 years, but we've been getting Kingdom. We've been getting Studio Series 86. Those are the hot new flavors. And I thought it'd be fun to like just at least spend the first chunk of it. Maybe we're going to talk about the what we got in those two lines because I'm trying to remember and I'm not expecting either of you to remember because this is so scattered now. I feel like of those two lines, we've like like TJ, I know we talked about the SS86 Voyagers with you. Because you got those from CMD store. Yeah. What else did we talk about from I either of those lines? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say it like, out loud. Like, it's okay if I go in and I just assume we talked about the SS Voyagers that you got, and then that's about it. We've touched on them in other recordings since while making other points. But uh, I was just going to like, oh, go ahead. I've been writing it down in a notepad. Like, okay, these I talked about, delete this out. I got these, add this to the list. I don't know what if the list is right anymore. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking episode 601, I'm just going to get out the wave 1 list for SS86 and Kingdom and I'm just going to going to run through it and we'll see what we all got and what we think of those toys cuz they're they're also the freshest toys we've been messing with uh that mm-hmm. are Transformers. So that's next on my docket. I'm not intending to make every episode from now on have like a previewable theme but uh these themes all fell into place uh rather rather organically so it's just how we're flowing right now um those of you out there who've been listening especially if you've listened to 600 plus a couple other hundred episodes uh thank you for doing that if you're new here don't go back uh maybe just go find anything from let's say 2011 onwards because that's after I was in Toronto, and I feel like, in general, like everything calmed down a little bit then, but I don't know. Uh, thank you all for chilling out. 600 episodes is boy wow, and uh, we're just going to keep doing them 
wherever when whenever, however we want because what what are you gonna stop us huh punk you gonna you gonna do something about it come over come over here start something huh punk i'm just huh there i just you know, your hat i just flipped your hat off your head huh what you gonna do pick it up huh pick up your dirty hat off the floor that i put on the floor huh punk you gonna stop me you gonna stop us for a podcast stay safe stay healthy and uh, i demand your survival It means, but you got some badass perpetrators that are here to stay.